0: Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Merry Christmas, New Covenant. I know I'm getting questions, where's the sweater? I was going to put it on, but my wife said your face is already distracting enough, so don't wear the sweater. Okay, she didn't really say that. Oh, what a blessing it was this morning to have the kiddos up here, and there's always that fear and trepidation of what if things don't go perfect, but with that much cuteness and that many costumes, you can't go wrong. So now's where it gets a little dicey, no cuteness and no costume, so the sermon better be good. So with that being said, we need to pray. So let's take a moment, let's just go to the Lord in prayer before we dive into His Word and we take a look at the next face that God uses at Christmas. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to be with you this morning. And uh, Lord, what a blessing it is to get to hear from the mouths of little ones praises that are worshiping and honoring you. And Lord, we ask that that would continue this morning, that you would be honored and you would be worshiped and you'd be lifted up. Lord Jesus, we take time now to tell you that we love you, that we are so thankful that you entered into creation and that you died for us so that, Lord, we might have hope, that, Lord, you rose again from the dead so that we might have even greater hope and Lord, we are so thankful that you are also coming again, and that's where our hope lies in the midst of a lot of craziness. So Lord, while it looks like evil is running rampant, while it looks like evil is winning out, would you remind us that you are still on the throne, and that Lord, you're completely in control and that you are coming back. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this morning. It's in your name that we all pray together. Amen. Well, one of my favorite old-time movies in the world, if you remember Back to the Future... With Michael J. Fox, good old Marty McFly, and he meets Doc Brown, and Doc Brown has the DeLorean, and on the DeLorean, he's got this thing called a flux capacitator where he can go back in time, and I think to myself, man, if I could fire up the flux capacitator and hop in the DeLorean, I'd love to rewind to like around 4 BC and go into Jerusalem and into Bethlehem and see some of the faces of Christmas. Christmas but I do know that one of the faces I wouldn't want to see is a guy that we're about to study this morning. His name's Herod. King Herod was a nasty, evil, wicked tyrant. And what's really cool about taking a look at Herod this morning is how God can even use evil, how God can even use tyrants uh, to bring himself glory and to bring about his plan. So I'm looking forward to seeing what we are going to learn from a man who was a nasty, evil guy. By the way, if you get confused at all, there's like six Herods in Scripture that are talked about. This one is a guy by the name of Herod the Great, and I'll give you a little bit more info on him in just a minute, but we're about to read about him. we got a fairly longer passage this morning, so you're getting your exercise, but one of the things that we do around here, just out of honor to our king, is that we stand and we read God's words. If you don't mind just standing with me, we have got all of Matthew chapter 2 this morning, all 23 verses, so... If you got a Bible handy, we're beginning in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. We'll go all the way to the end of verse 23. Matthew records for us that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born, king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth that was spoken by the prophets, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. Thanks, gang. You can have a seat. So just before we dive into this passage, let me just give you a little bit more background on how wicked and nasty... Herod was. I'm going to take the DeLorean back a little bit further from 4 BC and we're going to go back to 47 BC. In 47 BC, Herod is about 25 years old. He's one of our young adults at this point. He's already been given the position of governor over Galilee, which was a pretty high position. The Romans had pretty high hopes for Herod. Uh, The Romans were pretty upset with the Jews because a lot of them were rebelling against the Roman government. Uh, a lot of them did not like the false gods that were being worshiped by the Romans, and so they became a little bit of a thorn in the Roman side. So they raise up Herod, they look at Herod, and they go, Hey, Herod, do something about this rebellious group that we call the Jews. So the first thing that he does is he seizes the Jewish rebellion leader, a guy by the name of uh, Ezekias. He takes Ezekiel, he has him imprisoned, which is where he basically ends up staying till he dies. Then Herod, I don't know if he really loved her or he just tricked her, but he marries a young woman by the name of Mary Omni. Mary Omni is from the family line of the Hasmoneans, which was a very high and prominent Jewish family. So he works his way into Judaism to kind of work from the inside out. By the time you get to 40 BC, Herod is only about 32 years old, but he's given the title the King of the Jews. And the Jews hate this because Herod is not a Jew by birth and he's not a Jew by religion. And Herod becomes pretty wicked pretty quick. In fact, starting at about the age of 32, he has his brother-in-law executed. Then he has his mother-in-law executed. At about the age of 40, he has his wife executed. And then shortly before he dies in his late 60s, he has two of his sons executed. That's Herod. That's a guy that God is actually going to use for his own glory and to bring about fulfilled prophecy. Pretty amazing how God can work even through some nastiness. Now, we have sat underneath some nasty rulers in our time. Some of you have sat under more nasty rulers than others in your time. And you may be wondering, Lord, what are you doing? Why are you allowing this person to either be our president or our vice president or our governor or our mayor? Why are you allowing this? And I will tell you very honestly as your pastor, I don't know all those answers. I don't know why God allows certain people into office. I don't know why he allows certain people to run rampant. He allows certain policies to run rampant that are just flat out evil and against everything his word says. But what I do know is God can use all that for his glory. I've seen it happen in the past. I believe we're going to see it happen again in the future. So here we go back to Herod. He's a nasty man. He's had multiple family members executed, and why? All because he saw them as a perceived threat. They look like they might be somebody that is gonna get in my way, so I'm just gonna go ahead and I'm gonna take them out. By the way, there are Herods running all over our society today. If you don't understand what I'm talking about or know what I'm talking about, just watch the news. We have mass abortions going on all over our country. We have gender reassignment surgeries going on all over our country. Billions of dollars per year are spent in the pornography industry. Grossly violent films are our top-ranking films in the U.S. today. Violent crime, even just in our own city, is off the chart. Those are the herods that are running around in our world today. Okay, time out, Pastor. I thought this was a Christmas message. <laughs> what happened to deck the halls, joy to the world, and happy holidays? Well, let me remind us of something. It's when we recognize just how bad off we are apart from the Savior. It's when we recognize just how messed up we are apart from the, the God, man, in flesh who came in a manger, died upon a cross for us, and rose again. It's not until we recognize how messed up we really are that we recognize just how blessed we are through the forgiveness that we've gotten in Jesus. Now, also, don't forget all of that happiness that we just talked about, decking the halls, joy to the world, happy holidays, all of that is really only found in one place. It's found in Jesus. Now, I know there are a lot of people that are going, wait a minute, I find happiness at the mall when I'm shopping. I find it when I'm eating. That's fine and that's a dandy, but that's all happiness that will fade. It goes away. Eventually the meal comes to an end, eventually the family members have to leave, eventually something hard happens in life, and then the question is, now what are we left with? For followers of Christ, we are still left with that same baby in a manger, he doesn't go anywhere. Even though he was born and he grew up and then he died on a cross, the good news is he didn't stay dead. He rose again, he ascended into heaven, and then he also told us before he left, never will I leave leave you, never will I forsake you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Doesn't matter what happens, doesn't matter what Herod is reigning and ruling, Jesus is still on the throne. That's super good news for us this morning. Now in about three weeks-ish from now, we're going to be diving into the book of Revelation where we are going to look at in depth the King of kings, the Lord of lords who sits on his throne forever and ever. And he is never going to vacate that position. It doesn't matter who comes along. It doesn't matter if it's a Herod or whatever other reigning and ruling president, king, monarch, tyrant that it is, Jesus is still on the throne. Okay, we are going to now go from about 40 B.C. to fast forwarding to about 4 B.C. This was actually about the time that Jesus was born. In 4 B.C., we are about three years removed from Herod having had two of his sons strangled to death because he saw them as somebody that might try to usurp his power. At this point in time, Herod is around 70, and historians tell us that he is dying a painful and wretched death. He's dying of both a skin disease and a bowel disease that started on the inside that is festering all over his body. So he is not doing well at this point so not only is he a tyrant but now he is quite grumpy and then this baby is born and he hears about this baby being born and then some magi and you all remember who the magi are right they come all the way from at least 605 bc or before during the time of daniel They were astronomers and astrologers, which for them the line was very blurred. They were part of occultic practices that got told about Yahweh, that got told about the goodness of Yahweh, the true God of the universe by guys like Daniel and Hananiah, and Azariah, and Mishael, and some of them became followers of the Lord looking for that expected Messiah. And Daniel and his buddies had such an impact in their lives that 600 years later, we find out that there are still some magi, still some wise men that are seeking out the Messiah. And now the Messiah is to be born, and they traverse 900 miles across the desert. They end up in Bethlehem looking for this baby, And they're asking Herod, the king of the Jews, where is this baby to be born that we call the king of the Jews? That doesn't make Herod happy. Remember, he's the king of the Jews. At least that's the title that he had been given. Now these magi show up and go, we're looking for the king of the Jews. And they aren't talking about Herod. I don't think that made Herod too happy. In fact, I know it didn't make Herod too happy. Because it says that King Herod and all of Jerusalem were troubled That word troubled means to shake violently with anger and angst. Herod was pretty ticked. Well, here's what we're going to take a look at. For the most part, we're going to focus on Herod, but we're going to take a look at three groups of people that are in these 23 verses this morning. The Magi, we already looked at last week. We'll still look at them briefly, but we're going to take a look at the wisdom that they showed in their worship of Jesus. We're going to take a look at Herod, and we're going to take a look at his wickedness, and that he wanted Jesus dead. People may not run around and say it today, but they want Jesus dead. They want him out of schools, they want him out of politics, they want him out of our society. And I tell you what, when you begin to give people what they want, watch out for what's next. There is a reason why our secular universities are an absolute mess today. And we have to pray hard for our teachers that are being lights in those secular universities. We have to pray hard for our public school systems today. Because if the dictators of our great country have their way, Jesus and any thought of Jesus or any mention of Jesus will be completely removed from our schools. Completely removed from the political arena. And we will be in quite the mess. But then there's a third group of people that we don't discuss much. And they're seen in this passage. They're the scribes. They're the religious leaders. They're the ones that I would say are, are either willfully ignorant or just indifferent towards Jesus. They know about him, but who cares? Let's just move on. As long as he doesn't disrupt my way of life, I don't really care a whole lot about Jesus. Well, let's take a look at all three. If you would, grab your Bibles. Go with me back to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And then we're going to skip down to verses 9 through 12 because we're taking a look at our first group. We looked at them last week. These were the faces of the Magi. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose. We've come to worship him. Isn't it odd that pagan occultic practicing Idol worshipers are the ones that show up asking, where is this baby so that we can worship him? Listen to what they do beginning in verse 9. It says, after listening to the king, remember the king wasn't too happy that they showed up to worship the God-man Jesus. And so they hear what he says and after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The first thing we see this morning is that the wise are going to seek, worship, and obey Jesus, regardless of what it cost them. Let me begin to unpack A little bit from last week but remember what it cost the magi to worship jesus first of all it cost them a 900 mile trip 900 miles is a long drive in our fort escape let alone on foot or on horseback 900 miles is a long trip but they did it they said we're willing to take the risk we're going to risk the elements we're going to risk the travel and we're gonna take a trip of about 900 miles to go find this baby. But there's another thing that they did. They went and they worshiped him with costly gifts. Y'all remember the gifts, we looked at them last week, but gold and frankincense and myrrh, gold was the gift that would have been given to a king, frankincense would have been a gift that was given to a god, and myrrh would have been something used to anoint somebody that was going to die or had died, a martyr. They recognized Jesus as king, as God, and as the one who would die for them, and they did it with great joy. I don't know if I would be all that happy after 900 miles of travel and then instead of getting paid for your 900 miles of travel, you pay out months worth of wages in gifts to this baby that is supposed to be the savior of the world. And then on top of all that, they went home a whole different route. So it probably was more than 900 miles to get home because they had to go out of their way. You ever been diverted? You ever seen those signs that just say detour, like you can't get through and you get frustrated that you have to go the extra half mile? They traveled 900, most of them on foot. Remember, there weren't three magi. There were probably up to 1,000 from what we know. They brought three different types of gifts, but a whole lot of them showed up to worship the Lord. And then they get diverted. They can't even go home the same route. They're not going, great, we already knew how to follow our GPS, and now you're taking us the wrong direction. But yet, we're told that they do all of this with joy. What would have been joyful about traveling 900 miles across the desert with probably not a lot of resources and having just given away your most valuable resources? What joy is there in that? You know what their answer was? We got to be with Jesus. Hey, listen, this is not your home. Albuquerque is not your home. The United States is not your home. If you're a follower of Jesus, your home is in heaven, which means that you're going through what might quite possibly be a very difficult route to get home do you know that you can have joy in the journey it's going to be maybe a little bit longer than 900 miles but you can have joy in that journey and there's a reason you can have joy in the journey you know where you're going well i hope you know where you're going i guess that's more of a question than it is anything else do do you know where you're going scripture tells us extremely clearly For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might, you will. You don't have to question. So if you have trusted the Lord Jesus and what He's done on the cross and His resurrection from the dead, you can know exactly where you're going. So as bad as the journey might be, as hard as it might get, you know where you're going and you know who you're going to be with. That's why we can have joy in the journey. Here's the good news, we're traversing across whatever period of time it is we have to, to traverse across before we get to go and be with Jesus, but this is where it gets a little paradoxical. We're going to be with Jesus, but yet he's already with us. I just can't wait until I get to see him in all of his glory, and again, this is why I'm fired up about the book of Revelation. I can't wait till we get there, we are going to have a blast with it. Well, there's another person that I want to take a look at. He's kind of our focus this morning. Because I want to take a look at how God uses evil people for his glory. Look at verses 3 and 4 of Matthew chapter 2. It says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Then if you go on to verses 7 and 8, It says, Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Then go down to verses 16 through 18. It says, then Herod, when he had saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. The wise are going to do all they can to seek him, to find him, and to worship him. But the wicked are going to do whatever they can to kill him, regardless of cost. Let me repeat that again. The wicked are going to try to kill Jesus, regardless of cost. There are people all around us that want nothing to do with Jesus. I don't want you telling me that there's absolute truth in Jesus. I don't want you telling me that there is an absolute moral standard in Jesus. I don't want you telling me that there is an absolute right or wrong as stated by Jesus. So we will do whatever we can to kill him. We are going to get him out of here. We're going to get him out of Albuquerque. We're going to get him out of New Mexico. We're going to get him out of the United States. We're going to get him off this planet. It'll never work. He's Jesus. He's been around since before time began for human beings. And he's going to be around long after this earth is destroyed and the new heavens and the new earth come. He's going to be around forever. He always has been. But they're going to do everything they can to get rid of him. The wicked want Jesus out. Have you noticed that at all? I know we don't like to talk about this kind of stuff, and and pastor, you're not supposed to talk about anything political or anything that's going to make people upset from the pulpit. Here's the problem. I got nothing left to preach. That's Scripture. Scripture, everything that's in Scripture now has been deemed as political and has, for the most part, made somebody upset. Well, that's exactly what Scripture's supposed to do. I don't know who said it, somebody a lot wiser than I did, but somebody once said this, The Bible, Scripture, was written to afflict the comforted and to comfort the afflicted. Listen, if you're afflicted this morning and you're wondering what in the world is going on, be comforted by God's Word. If you're trying to find comfort in your spouse or in your kids or in your money or in your home, then let the Bible afflict you a little bit and let it move us to a place where we're no longer complacent. That's what happened with the wise men. Herod was very upset. He got afflicted because he had been living in the comfort of his power his entire life. He was used to power. And now that he's beginning to lose some of it, he's really beginning to freak out. And what he should have done was fallen down on his knees and worshipped the Savior. But instead, he tried to kill him. There were people around him that could have come up to him and told him about the goodness of Jesus, and maybe some tried. We don't know. There may have been others that he killed that tried to tell him about Jesus. And therein lies a lesson for a bunch of us sitting in this room. There are a lot of Herods around us that need Jesus. Don't let their power, don't let their tyranny scare you. Because you might think to yourself, well, I don't want to say anything to Herod. Herod's going to kill me. Gang, let me remind you of something that the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. What in the world did Paul mean by that? Well, Philippi- or Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, they're all what we call prison epistles. Paul is in prison, and while in prison or while under house arrest, he is able to look at the people that are beating him up just for fun, torturing him just for, for fun, and say, you know what, as long as Jesus keeps me alive, for me to live as Christ. In other words, my job is to allow Christ to live through me. Let him keep reaching people for himself through me. My life is but a small thing. And if you end up killing me, oh, bummer. I got to go to heaven and be with Jesus where there's no more crying or mourning or pain or death or tears because the old order of things has passed away and the new has come. Oh, bummer. Man, I got to leave earth. I got to leave all this. I'm being facetious, of course, but that's what Paul is saying. Well, then there are those people in this Christmas, I don't even want to call it a story because it's not a. When we think of story, we think of something fiction. In this actual real life historical event, there's another group of people that I think we oftentimes breeze right past, and this is the majority of the people that we come in contact with on a daily basis. We find them in verses four through six. Listen to this. Herod assembles all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and he inquires of them where the Christ was to be born and they told him in Bethlehem of Judea for so it is written by the prophet and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The religious people, the Jews of the day, could quote Micah chapter 5, verse 2 like that. Oh, you want to know where the Christ child is? He's in Bethlehem. Micah, the prophet of the Old Testament, told us exactly where he'd be born. But you know what's interesting? We have no record of these folks taking the six mile. Now listen to this, six-mile journey, six miles. It's a little jaunt from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. They had to go six miles to go see God in flesh. We have no record of them doing it. They knew where he was going to be born, they knew the Old Testament prophet Micah had said he was going to be born, they knew what Isaiah said about his birth, they knew what Jeremiah said about his birth, and yet they did nothing. They just stayed right where they were and kept about their same everyday life, and that's because the willfully ignorant, this is the third and final thing that I'll give you this morning, the willfully ignorant are going to try to ignore Jesus regardless of cost. Whatever I can do to ignore him, I'll do it and we see it happening in our society all the time now I'm about to mention some things that in and of themselves are not bad but we entertain ourselves we try to entertain ourselves to death have you ever been sitting in church and go it's Sunday the game is on at 10. pastor you better not go long today we got a game at 1, and i got to get home and make the guacamole because the Cowboys are on, or the, whoever it is that you follow is on. i got to, I got to get home and get the salsa and guacamole made quick. Get on with it. Those are the, the those of us that try to drown out what really actually matters with things that don't. Again, watching the football, game was not bad. We used to have season passes to Disneyland. We used to love to take our kids to Disneyland, but we were in contact with thousands of people that were doing it to go to a whole new world because they wanted to escape the one that they were in. Missing the fact that you can escape the world that you're in one day when you get to go be with Jesus forever, and that's far greater than singing cheesy songs from Aladdin and being in a whole new world. Should I start singing? I could get you all to leave right now. I won't do it. So the willfully ignorant are going to try to ignore Jesus at all costs or regardless of the cost. Listen, Satan, for the most part, doesn't care if you believe that he exists. He doesn't care if you're afraid of him or not. If he could just simply get you distracted, if he can just simply get you to focus on something other than the goodness of God, he's done exactly what he has set out to do. Think back with me if you would. I'm going to ask you to rewind in the DeLorean just a little bit further, but let's go back to creation. And remember, Satan shows up and he shows up as a talking serpent. Apparently, this didn't bother Eve because she carries on a full conversation with him. I mean, at this point, fear and that kind of stuff hadn't entered the world yet, so you don't have horror movies and all that other kind of stuff. So talking snake, it would have been no big deal. So this talking serpent speaks to Eve, and you notice what he didn't do. He didn't try to convince her that he was real. He didn't show up like Hollywood portrays him as some kind of devil with horns and a tail and a big pitchfork. He shows up and does everything he can to get her focus off the goodness of God and onto something else. God's just trying to hold out on you. And so now we run around all over the place hearing people say, you know what, we've got something far greater than anything that God, God has to offer. Why do you want to show up at some stodgy church on a Sunday and be all pious and give your money to people you don't know? Why in the world would you want to do that? Why do you want to sing a bunch of songs with a bunch of people that can't sing? Why do you want to show up and listen to some talking head from up front tell you how you're supposed to live your life? These are all the things that the enemy is going to try to convince you of and yet if we take a look at what scripture tells us when we show up together to sing it's not about how we sound it's about who we're worshiping see it's really more about who it is that's being worshiped than it is about our our songs in our voices by the way our worship team is amazing we have an amazing worship team i'm talking about the those of us that are out here in the congregation singing out loud going i'm glad i can't hear myself turn it up but we are blessed, we are blessed in the sense that we can know day in and day out that when we show up to sing, we know who it is that we're worshiping. We can know without a doubt that regardless of who it is that's standing in the pulpit, if Jesus is the central focus of everything that we say and everything that we think and everything that we do, we can't go wrong. And so this morning I wanna encourage you, would you make Jesus the central focus of everything that you do? One of the promises that I would make and that our leadership here at this church would make is that everything that we're going to do as New Covenant Church is going to be focused around Jesus because he's the only one that's worth worshiping. He's the only one that at the end of the day makes life worth living because he is the one who gave us life. He is the one who gave us breath. He gave us each other. He gave us voices to sing praises to him. And I can't wait to get to do that forever in heaven. Do you guys know that? We get to do that forever together in heaven. So if I annoy you now, you got a long time to go, baby, because eternity is a long time. So we're going to have a blast in heaven together. Let me finish with this. It leads us to something very practical, and I want to give you some very practical application for the Advent season. You and I are going to respond to what we just heard this morning, just like one of the three folks that we just talked about in Scripture. We're either going to respond like the wise men, and we're going to give Jesus the worship that he deserves. We're going to respond like Herod with hostility and want Jesus dead, or we're going to respond like the religious leaders with indifference and just walk out the door and not be changed. My prayer for us as a church body is that we leave here like the magi, that we worship Jesus for who he is, and we give him what he rightfully deserves. And really, that's our everything. Amen? All right, gang, let me pray for us. Jesus, we come before you and we thank you so much for this morning that you have given to us and we ask now that as we get ready to transition into a time of remembering you through communion, Lord, would you remind us why we take the bread and why we take the cup? Would you remind us that we take it, Lord, not out of tradition, not out of ritual, but Lord, we do it because of who you are. Lord, again, remind us that as we partake of the bread that we are remembering your body that was broken for us. We're remembering that you took upon a body, Lord Jesus, you didn't have to, you could have stayed in heaven where you were worshiped by angels, where you were worshiped by the saints that have gone before us and that will be worshiping you forever. And yet you chose to take upon a body. You chose to be born in literally an animal's feeding trough You chose to live that perfect, sinless life, then die on a cross for us, then rise again. And Lord, we're so thankful that you're gonna come again for us. May we remember that as we take communion together this morning. May we remember that your blood was shed so that we might have forgiveness of our sins and that none of it can be held against us. Lord, we take time now to tell you that we do love you and Lord, that sounds trivial, but Lord, all you've asked from, from us is our worship in our adoration, and so we give that to you this morning just like the Magi did. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. NCCABQ.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. Have a great week.